Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications for ABWE International, joined again as always by Scott Dunford. I'm here. West Coast Advancement. Thing doer. Yes, yes, and uh, and pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. We're recording right now from the what's left of the uh, Radius Missiology Conference in Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. But uh, it's been an awesome last uh, so good. 24 hours, hasn't it? Great conference. I'm leaving here with my cup much more full, even though I'm very tired mm. and ready to get back to the West Coast. But it's been a great conference. Yeah, my heart is full and heavy and about to burst. Yeah, um, it's it's been amazing. And what we want to do in this week's episode is bring you another exclusive uh, and that's our panel that we did today with some uh, pastors right yeah. so yeah I, we've had a great conference focusing a lot on theology of missions which is so important but sometimes those nitty-gritty things of like how do we do sending well how do we interact how do churches interact with mission agencies well and then even being able to get into some veteran pastors and missions yeah. leaders like what are some of the big mistakes you've made which help young pastors and pastors that aren't getting it right every time yeah. kind of be able to go okay that's, I've done that. they're they're doing it too I can get I can do it better and for me one of the biggest takeaways was it's okay to not send yeah like wait do it right be deliberate about yes. it um, uh, it was really cool to hear these guys get vulnerable. Right. And so we had Paul Davis, ABWE's president, also spent uh, 30 years or so, yeah. 20, 30 years as a pastor in Holland, Michigan. Uh, we had Barry, help Barry me. Brown. Barry Brown. Yeah, North Point Church. North Point in Des Moines. Des Moines. And then we had Chad Vegas, uh, who pastors Sovereign Grace Church in Bakersfield, California. And so without further ado, listen to this week's episode. Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE International. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE International, and we are incredibly excited, my uh, co-host Scott and I, uh, incredibly excited and thankful uh, for Radius and their partnership in this event uh, and everything that they've done, as well as Bethlehem Baptist Church uh, here in Minneapolis, and we're incredibly excited for our hosts. And I do think that all of the event organizers, particularly Carl Miller, everybody deserves a round of applause yes, for that. Sure. They put on an incredible event. We've been super privileged to be a part of it. And this is day two. And so we've spent a lot of time over the last 24 hours or so talking about the things that we share in common. We believe in this shared vision of missions that is serious, it's, it's biblically driven, uh, and it's using the means of grace that God has given us, right? So, but we also wanna make it practical, particularly for those who are in a position as senders and shepherding over those who we send. And so, Scott, why don't you talk to us more about the direction we're going to take this conversation with our panelists. So we're really wanting this panel to be something very practical, especially for those of you who are in, in local church ministry. Sometimes it's like you hear these great things about missions, you hear this great theology, and you're like, well, like me, I'm a pastor in, in, in Fremont, California. Um, in, in Fremont, we're kind of a mega church. We have 80 people. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's kind of not a joke, but, um, but you hear some of these great ideas. You're like, how do I put this into practice? You know, I'm, I'm dealing with pastoral counseling. I'm dealing with outreach. I'm dealing with all these things. And, and then I hear these great ideas and kind of feeling like self-condemning, like, wow, my church is not up to par where I want it to be missions-wise. And so we really want to kind of put some things on the bottom shelf of saying, how can pastors engage better in missions? How do we be better sending churches? And if you're not a pastor here and you're in a local church, you're thinking about missions for yourself, how do you get involved in that? So we're, we want to kind of organize these questions on sending well. Yeah. And we want to just give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves real quick for anyone who might not know who our panelists are here. As you guys introduce yourselves, lean a little bit into the table. The microphone is there in the center. All right. I'm Paul Davis. I'm currently the president of ABWE and uh, have been a, in pastoral ministry for over 30 years. I'm Barry Brown, I'm a missions pastor at North Point Church in Des Moines, Iowa. And board member with and, Radius. And Barry's a board member for Radius, yeah, we need a, a long-term <laughs> one. Chad Vegas, uh, pastor of Sovereign Grace Church, Bakersfield, and uh, also on the board of Radius. So our first question is dealing with the idea of sending. And even yesterday, I think I mistakenly said this, um, often people are talking about agencies as sending agencies. Do you work for a sending agency or do you work for a training agency? There's a part of me that, that cringes when I hear that phrase because we, we really recognize the fact that, that 
agencies don't send anybody, that yeah. God's only given the role of sending to the local church. So I want to put it to these men who've all spent significant time in pastoral ministry, but also have been involved with agencies of one type or another. Why is it so important that we get foundationally that the local church is who sends in missions? How about we start with Paul and kind of work our way around? Terminology is important. And uh, many times terms and how we speak about things form the direction that those things actually head. One of the things that I do when I'm speaking at a local church or I've asked to, to preach on missions at a local church, one of the very first things that I say when I introduce ABWE is that we work with over a thousand missionaries in 70 countries and I say, and we haven't sent one of them. And then I pause and as the church processes, wait, aren't you with a mission agency? And Yes, I am, but we haven't sent one mission. The local church has sent, and I, and I talk about that at the beginning of really every message because I want the church, again, to be reminded of her responsibility to you know, fulfill and work on the Great Commission. We as a, a supporting agency, as sending agencies, as we talk about, it's our role to come underneath the local church and support the local church as she does her work faithfully and give her tools and resources that she needs to do her work well. Yeah, I, I, I would just echo some of that and maybe add a few other comments. Um, we, we believe the church, biblically, is what is the organization that God has set up to send out missionaries, and, and that's why we do it. We're... Uh, very familiar with the people we send out. We love them. They're part of our body. They're an extension of our church, and we want to love them and care for them. Uh, we value the partnerships we have with sending agencies because they also offer a lot of services that uh, we couldn't replicate the same way. But accountability, love, and care for those missionaries, I believe, is the responsibility of the church. I don't have much to add except to say Jesus never said, I will build my parachurch sending organization, right. Right? but I'll build my church. And um, when churches come together for the purpose of helping one another send folks to the field or teams to the field and resourcing each other and things that maybe one church can't do by itself, you know, some kind of a sending agency is born. As long as it understands that actually it's just the nexus of a group of churches that want to partner together to do something that none of them can do individually, the sending agency is very helpful. The moment that it starts to think that, thank God we're here, the churches don't know what they're doing, and the churches are just a platform for our ministry, mm. then they become problematic. An ascending agency or parachurch organization, not sending in the sense of local church sending, but those parachurch organizations are only legitimate in as much as they lift up the local church. Otherwise, they're a distraction. Uh, and we love parachurch organizations. We, in various ways, all work for some. And so let's shift gears a little bit. You guys have battle scars from years of ministry. I had a roommate in college who would always use as his icebreaker with people. I don't know if this was effective or not, but his icebreaker in college was always, hey, so uh, what's the worst sin you've ever committed? It just, people just <laughs> laugh. Um, I'm not going to ask you guys that. <laughs> but, Something you've never told anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was that. But what he would ask, um, never mind. Um, our question for you is, what are some mistakes that you've made in sending? What are some things you wouldn't have done to go back and do it again? Encourage the young pastor who's yeah. despairing, but also encourage them they can get better. <laughs> Don't be too discouraged. I'm actually going to jump in because I've made so many. Um, <laughs> but I think, for me, letting someone get too far in the process who's not qualified to be, because you want to be a nice guy, because you want to promote missions. And, and as a pastor, you, you are trying to disciple young people and disciple uh, maybe not so young people. And you see giftedness and maybe they're effective in a small ministry in your church. But uh, if, you were, if, if you were pinned down, you would say, no, not, not qualified, not ready, not capable, not gifted for cross-cultural ministry. But because we get busy in pastoral ministry, um, we, we let them walk down a path. And we don't want to hurt their feelings, and maybe their family is. And 
I made the mistake multiple times of letting someone get too far to where it was a very difficult conversation. It was a very painful conversation to stop them because they had already started talking with maybe a, an agency or they'd already filled out an application somewhere to be sent. And they're assuming that the elders and the leaders of the church are on board because we haven't stopped them and we haven't redirected them. We haven't been pastoral enough in their lives. And uh, so I would encourage pastors to not be afraid. If you, if you have young people who are zealous for missions, who are zealous, and if, if you know they're not ready, if you know they're not gifted for a cross-culture, have that conversation early and regularly. It's much less painful in the long run to do that. So I think we've all experienced what you just described. I certainly have. Uh, the one that I would add that's a little different is uh, early on we would send people to the missions field and we did not have them properly trained. We expected that six weeks of cross-cultural uh, experience and a little bit of language, maybe a couple weeks of language, that they would be fine. And so we, we didn't have them adequately trained. We also didn't have the right expectations on what they should do. We left that all up to the mission agency, and it's not that the mission agency is, a, is, is wrong in this, the church was wrong in this, I was wrong in this, in that we didn't uh, you know, create the proper goals and expectations and provide the opportunities for the right training. Okay. And I, yeah. To your point, we as sending agencies and supporting agencies, we do rely a lot on the local church, at least ABWE does, we rely a lot on the, the church leadership to say, this is a qualified, uh, this person's character matches up. We can, we can assess some of the, mm -hmm. the language things and, and, uh, and we can help train, but we're counting on that local church mm -hmm. to really do their homework. And, and when we do it together, it makes for a good candidate. Yeah, can I just say one other thing? It's a little bit controversial, but I would say, you know, we talk about the mission agencies aren't the sending church and the churches are the sending sending organism, and I would say if, it, if it's dysfunctional a little bit where churches are relying on the, on the agencies, I don't see it so much as the agency's fault. Thank I you. see it more as the church is not taking responsibility. Now the agency, most, most of the time, even early on when we had people that we sent that maybe we shouldn't have sent, we were always asked, are they a good candidate? And the answer was always yes. <laughs> okay. So I think there's dual responsibilities on both sides, and the church certainly needs to take responsibility for uh, sending properly. Barry, it's out of the best well. of motives. You don't want to yeah. give offense. You don't want to discourage somebody who's right. ready to go. But there's still a responsibility. Yeah, I, and I think this is where out of the best of motives, out of the best intentions, I hear that all the time, and good intentions and good motives don't really matter if you're doing the wrong things. I hate to say that at the end of the day, um, I, can, I can sin in well-intentioned ways. For sure. <laughs> and um, that's, that's still sin, right? And so I, I wanna, with, in my church, we made the mistakes early on. Thankfully not on did we assess their character well enough or make sure they were trained well enough. We, early on, largely because of Brad's impact early in my life, I had a sense that that needed to be the case already before I even planted a church. But, Early on in our church, the, the mistakes we made were, one, um, having too low of expectations for sending agencies, and two, assuming too much about what the sending agencies do. Um, that sounds contradictory, hmm. but what I mean by that is we sent out a young woman who was godly, pretty well trained, um, and we sent her out with a sending organization who we, we made assumptions that they would be supportive and helpful and have people on the ground um, alongside her and, and encourage her down the road of language and culture and none of that happened. And we had um, too high of expectations in, in another sense, or we assumed too much in the sense that we assumed all that was gonna happen, but then we had too low of expectations is what I'm getting at in the sense that I thought, well, this organization's kind of fighting against what we've sent her to do. They're actually not only just not helping her, they're, they're consistently resisting the work, telling her this long-term language learning business is 
is a giant waste of her time, um, that she could just pray for a, a person of peace and off she could go into all kinds of church planning. We had, um, so we had resistance. And I think when I say I miscalculated in those areas, it's coming back to Barry's point. We as a church saw our responsibility in training and qualifying and then giving her money and praying and then thinking the sending agency will handle it from there. That was a significant error. Um, so now we, we've sort of narrowed down. We only send through this agency presently because they do what we do and we know they follow up. And But we also think, like we visit our members, and I visit all the members in the, their homes in my churches, um, a pastoral staff, we do that um, weekly, usually on Mondays and Thursdays, visit the various members in their homes, um, at, which is one of the best parts of the ministry that I think I participate in. But we thought, why aren't we doing this for our missionaries? So now we do. We literally put them on a plane to Indonesia or wherever, and they go do pastoral visitation to the missionaries and, and um, work with any counseling issues. And we've just said, we've got to take pastoral responsibility in a way that we weren't in the past. Um, and so that's been a real good turn. But this young woman paid a lot of cost for our lack of wisdom. And she's a godly gal, still a member of the church. We love them. She's still going out um, again with another organization to a different place. Hard blow for her and her husband, but um, but we're very thankful that they've they've endured the um, foolishness of their elders. If we could say it another way, they've they've endured it well and are glad to have been used by God to wake us up to what we need to be doing. I can remember, you know, being a young assistant pastor, just got back from an overseas trip to Asia, feeling like maybe God was leading us into missions. I remember sitting down with my pastor and saying, I think God's calling us into missions. And his response was, um, well, who am I to argue with God's calling in your life? And, uh, and, and then, so we went down the path. And then we get on the field and there's, there's things going on. Like we were being told we couldn't go where we wanted, where we had told everyone where I felt like our, our church had supported us and the people group we were going to be targeting. And again, you know, turning to the church, it was like, well, who are we to argue with the agency? And, and, it, and it, it's, I think that I say that, and a lot of those things have been, have been corrected in my own theology as well as in the agency. But, but it's a good reminder to pastors who are here and also for you that are not pastors to, to hold, to, to submit yourselves to your church leaders. Um, I think I could have, in wisdom, come back to my pastor and said, you know, it's your job as the church to confirm my calling. Don't just take my word for it. Um, but also as a, as, a, as a pastor to say, okay, I don't know everything about the field. I don't know everything about the nuance, but it's my job to learn and to be supportive or corrective to my member as they're serving. So. I, I think that's important, Scott, because who am I to question? I've heard a lot of pastors say that, your right. calling. And I want to say, you're the man God put in the office for the purpose of questioning that very thing. Right. You have a group of men in the office of elder who are the ones who send. At the end of the day, they're confirming, if you will, they're, they're, the church is the one who externally calls. We want to use that language. Acts 13. Acts 13. Paul the apostle has Jesus resurrected appear to him and tell him to go to the Gentiles, right? Go to the, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul doesn't go until he's sent by the church at Antioch some 11 or 12 years later. He's sent out by a, a group of elders, if you will. And that's when he goes. And there's, and I mean, none of us have had the resurrected Christ appear to us and tell us to do anything. If you claim you had, we would have some real trouble. And, and yet, um, we're like, well, I feel internally like it's a thing I should do. So what do these elders have to say about that? You know? so, so there's a book on, that was published in the 60s by OMF. It's called Who Sends the Missionary? Hmm. And it addresses that very topic. It's very thin. It's a quick read. Um, I think you can get it on a reprint on Amazon. I've given it to all our elders at one point. I've given it to other church leaders. I think it's really helpful, and it emphasizes all the points that Chad says, takes you through Scripture, and uh, validates all those points. And as a pastor, elder, or mission team, when you're strong on that, be ready to lose people from your church. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. We had a wonderful, engaged couple in our church that 
and you know started trying to be pastoral in their lives and and boy God's calling in their life trumped our our entire church and they left to find a church that would go along with what they thought happened and so um, I think we understand that there are risks in being pastoral. Yeah. There, there are risks in taking your responsibility as biblical elders um, seriously. And, but it's worth it. And again, as, a, as an agency that's sending, it's worth having those conversations early and often and for, for pastors to know their flock and to know who they're sending and to have relationships and have a team around them, whether it's a missions committee or a missions team or, or them as an elder team, uh, actively engaged in the discipleship process of that person who is going to be sent in their church's name mm-hmm. uh, to the nations. Well, there, there, there's, a, there's a very practical, especially I want to speak to those who feel like God's leading you into missions, because there will be a moment, and, and I know Brad's talked about it and Brooks talks about it. But I, I'm also going to say there will be a moment when something goes wrong on the field and you're laying in bed at night going, what in the world have we done? Uh, I, I can remember one year in, my wife, a had, been, moment. My wife had been assaulted. Uh, our family was struggling. Um, we were having team difficulties. And, and I was thinking, like, what? did I call myself? And it was, it's a, I think it's an important to remember, you know, Paul calls to Timothy and says, remember the calling you received with the laying out of hands. And, the elders. And, uh, and yeah. in, in the moments when you feel like, what have I done? You go, wait a second. I know that I'm not the only one in my own head that thought I, I felt something, that God's church moved behind me and that hands were put on me, authority was given, I was sent. And so, you know, I just, I just want to encourage you. That's important for you practically, too. It's not just some high-in-the-sky high theology thing. I mean, I want to say to pastors to, to keep in mind what you're doing. When you just say, who am I to question, and I'm going to send you off, and I'm not going to make sure that you have the character necessary and the training necessary and the support necessary to get it done. What you're doing is you're looking at people who I assume as a pastor, I know I love the members of my church. I'll give every last breath for the sake of making you know, Christ known to them. And I can't look at this young woman, for example, and um, her husband, who I have right now, who are candidates. They'll, they'll be going to their PFO in the next um, year, I think. She's a daughter of one of my elders. I've known her since she was a child. She's grown up. I love her. I love her husband. He was adopted in by marriage. We love him because of her, but we love him now, <laughs> right? right? And we're growing to love him more and more. I can't look at her and say, I'm willing to send the two of you to one of the hardest places on earth to suffer greatly when, you know, I kind of think you're probably not going to make it. It's probably not going to go very well for you. I'm not sure if you're really ready or I'm not going to take time to even consider. Are you worth sending? Like, you might get raped. You're going to suffer. There are going to be diseases you get that you can't go to a hospital in America to get resolved. Assaults happen, financial loss happens, your children suffer. And I'm gonna, as a pastor, just kind of sit back and wave my hand and say, well, who am I to question? Go ahead, I hope it works out for you. Because I love you so much that I'm not gonna tell you the hard thing you don't wanna hear now, so that you don't suffer years of that. I think it's intensely selfish for a pastor or a group of elders to essentially couch their unwillingness to say hard things to people under the guise of love, knowing they're sending people to, to real suffering when you don't, they don't have any confidence those people are the right people to go out. That's incredibly selfish. So what you want to notch on the belt buckle of people that we've sent. Oh, we've sent, and they're great. And, and I don't want to tell love us. And I don't want to tell them hard because they might leave my church. Yeah. We had a couple who was right there. One of the I've known them since high school. I love them. They're a great young couple, one of the best young couples in the church. And we finally said, we don't, they, they dreamed of it since high school, went to college for it, did everything you could imagine, went through training. And we said, we don't think you should go. And I thought, man, they told us flat out, well, this other church has offered to send us already. I said, well, if you want to go get sent by the other church, there's nothing we can do about it. But we're just telling you, by God's grace, they stuck around. Mm-hmm. They received that, and they stuck around, and we're thankful. 
But I had real fears that they would leave, other people who love them would leave, and that they would say, look at what a mean guy Chad is. Look at how cool the elders are. They've crushed our dreams. But I couldn't sit back in good faith as a pastor and say, we're going to send you out there, and I'm, I'm going to watch your kids suffer for something we don't think you can actually get done. I'm going to let your wife and your children suffer so that I don't have to be accused of being mean. <laughs> is that because we've so democratized the idea of what it means to be a missionary, right? Everybody's a missionary, and, and we've also brought so far down the Great Commission, right? It's just make disciples wherever you are, right? You know, be, be a good, godly sort of influence on people. You know, be, because of that, we don't really have the authority anymore. Pastors don't have the authority anymore to say, this is a high and hard calling, and not everyone can do this. I mean, I, I think that that's an unfortunate byproduct of our mobilizing language. Mm. Mm. So a man Alex, you and I both love, said... A Christian's either a missionary or a fraud, right? And Charles Spurgeon. Lean, lean into the mic. Spurgeon was Charles wrong. Charles Spurgeon, he was wrong. He was wrong. He was wrong. Every On a couple of different things, Every too. Christian <laughs> should evangelize Would you those yes. that God gives him the opportunity to evangelize. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. But to be a missionary, if you go back to the Latin, missio is to be sent, right? And that's coming back from the Greek, apostello, to, um, to, to be sent, and if we're going to say that this person is sent, by who? By who? Just by God on their own? No, they're sent by Christ's church. So not everybody in my church is sent to some other place um, with hands laid on them by the elders, commissioned to go out and do that. It's just not true. Not every my church is. That doesn't mean they're not good, godly people right. honoring Christ loving their neighbors, making Jesus known to the people in the places God has put them. But that's something different than what I do as a pastor or what a missionary does that we send out. And the other thing, Alex, that uh, in addition to the things you brought up, I think the individualization of Americans, which has many benefits, uh, has, trumps the authority of the church and authority in general, and that creeps into the church and causes a lot of people to say, well, I've been called and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do this because they believe that they're the master of their ship. Yes. And uh, that also, I think, plays a lot into how decisions are made. And the weak authority shows up in very manipulative ways because you know, even if you do have a sent missionary that a church takes a stand and says, you know, look, you need to come off the field, you." We need, we need to get you help, and they work with the mission agency well. You know, we've seen couples say, you know what, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to leave our sending church. We're going to pick another sending church, and another, another church is excited to take them as, you know, because they're a sharp couple or whatever. And then they find a new mission agency, and they totally trump the biblical authority uh, through escapism and through... Mm -hmm. Uh, well, if my local church doesn't tell me what I want to hear, I'll find a church. And I would encourage just us as believers and as all a part of the Great Commission, this is why we need to work together. Mm -hmm. Because when a pastor makes a decision to call someone home, uh, when a, either an organization or another church says, no, 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 they, they can still go out, they'll just go out under our church, there's a there's a huge betrayal of biblical authority right there. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we've seen that happen where the new agency won't even check for a reference mm -hmm. with us. We dismissed them from the field. We <laughs> pulled them home and didn't even check for a reference or didn't even check with a, with a local church. And, and I'm not here to bash any. I'm, I'm just saying that's a breakdown in an understanding of biblical authority and where pastors and elders play into this situation. That's a, that's a problem across the board. It's the same principle as when somebody who's a member of another church in my city comes over to my church and says, well, I'm going to start going here. I'm done with that church. I say, well, I'm, I'm going to call the pastor. When? Well, today. Well, really? Today? You just met me. Yeah, I know, but you told me you're, you're a member there. You're leaving, coming over to us. I need to call him. I need to follow up, ask him, or, do you want us to receive them? Should, have they left in good standing? Have they made you aware of it? Should I encourage them to come go back to you? What, what do you want me to do? Um, 
And people were always shocked by that. When I first started doing it in our city, pastors actually thought I was calling them to gloat. What are you calling to brag? They came to you instead of us? No, I'm calling you because I actually want to recognize that you're a Christian church. To, to me, for me to just take your members in with no consideration yeah. is for me to actually um, functionally declare we don't see you as a real church, yeah. as Christ's body. I don't want to do that. Right. Now, if I think you're heterodox church, that you're teaching serious error, I'll, I'll receive your members happily. But that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And we need to be clear about that. They're not, we're not competing for members. The same thing's true with missionaries. If you want to leave a church that's heterodox because it's heterodox, it's teaching falsely, fine. Or because their elders are ungodly and won't repent, fine. But if you want to leave a church that's a perfectly good church merely because they don't affirm your dream, that's a really bad reason to leave. Dream, dream is a better word than yep, calling. Sometimes, it is. Right? Sometimes let's call it what it is. So there's a lot of what not to do. Let's turn. What are some of the best practices? What are some things that you've done, you've aspired to do, dialed in and said? Seen done. Yeah. Or seen done by others, right? Because we're all some of our influences. What are some of those best practices in sending and then shepherding those that we send well? As I meet with missions teams and missions committees and things, one of the things that I'm calling them to, and really the main thing I'm calling them to, is prayer. You know, we're, Matthew 9, 30, we're, we're commanded to pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And I encourage teams to, to, to actually look out at the membership of the church and to spot gifted people that they think if the Lord began moving in their lives, drawing them towards missions, you know, we as a team would be supportive of them and begin, write their names down and begin praying for them by name. And then a year from now, begin having conversations with those young people and say, Barry, our committee, our, our, our missions team, our elder board has been praying for you specifically for a year. And we want you to know that if God is drawing you into missions or if God is drawing you to the nations, we would be supportive of that call of God on your life. And I think that's the closest thing we can do to Acts 13, when, when the church was gathered for fasting and prayer. And that's when the Holy Spirit drew out mm -hmm. Paul and Barnabas, right? right? And so I would say the best practice would be intentional, fervent prayer and pleading with the Lord of the harvest to send labors in the field, specifically followed up with conversations. That's good. So I'd have two things, one externally and maybe one internally within the church. Um, we've already heard Chad mention uh, visits with missionaries and the importance of that, seeing them in their home in another country. Uh, something that I began several years ago uh, was that I, I pray for our missionaries twice a week. I realize that it can be more than that, and I do. But twice a week, intentionally, I pray, and I send them a text through one of five different texting apps on my phone, and it's in code, and it doesn't say what I prayed. It just tells them I prayed for them. And you'd be amazed at the number of responses I get from missionaries. I did not do it to get responses. I did it initially just to encourage the missionaries and to let them know I am praying for them. And so I have a list of things that I can pray through. Uh, for the different missionaries, but then they begin to respond every week. I mean, some days I'll get four or five responses of things they're going through, things they want prayer for. I think it's greatly encouraged them, and it's allowed me to understand a lot about what's going on and how to help them. So that, that's been something that I've done to encourage uh, the missionaries. Internally, uh, something that uh, I really believe strongly in is getting my missions team all on the same page so that we all have the same biblical and missiological understanding of what we're going to execute and what we're going to be about. And so we either go through uh, a book together or one of the things I like to do is go through a class or an experience together. So we, we took our team and went to Engage Global for a weekend, which is a three-day experience. It goes through uh, the story of the Bible and unreached people groups and explains the situation in missions, but you also have interactions with foreign culture or cultures from other countries, you know, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, unreligious. Uh, it's very impactful. Uh, so it not only brings the team together, good team experience, but it gets us all thinking about what is important for us as a team 
what do we need to be directing candidates to and what do we need to be supporting? That's good. Yeah. And check out, we did an interview uh, with Rick Davis from Engage Global. You can see it on the missionspodcast.com slash radius site. So anyway. the specific question, how do we send well? Yeah, like what are the best practices you think for sending well? I think you have to create a culture in your church that understands its responsibility in the Great Commission. And so um, that comes with the, that, that's going to begin with the pulpit, because the pulpit's going to drive the church. So you need to be regularly coming to, um, to the fact that we're not here just for our own ends. We're here to make Christ known to the ends of the earth. Um, this gospel that we glory in, that we find so much joy in, we're, we're here to make it known, not just to our neighbors, though that's important, but to make it known to every tribe and tongue and nation that that is part of our calling as a church. It's part of who we are. So that needs to be in the, in the preaching. It needs to be in pastoral prayer. I don't know about all of your churches, but I probably have a pastoral prayer that's somewhere between seven and ten minutes long before the sermon. And um, we pray specifically for missionaries, for the nations, in that pastoral prayer every single week. We pray for all of our missionaries by name. Um, uh, so I think you need to be praying for it. Um, and, and I'm just talking about in the worship service now. In our membership classes, nobody comes through membership in our church and becomes a member without getting all the way through training on missions. Um, so we train them in missions. You can't be a member here if you don't understand you're part of the mission of, uh, of Christ for his church. And so missions training is part of our membership training. It's the last three hours. So you caught that. It's the last three hours. So they have to read some things on missions, watch Brooks's film on missions before they're even able to be members of the church. Um, we have, we've hosted and been part of hosting missions courses. Radius is now creating one, actually, an eight-week or so. We haven't decided that course on missions um, we've sent people to Caravans Ministries, which is out there in high school, so that the high school kids start to learn. Caravans goes down and builds shelters in Mexico, but they also train kids each day in something uh, about what is what is God's heart for the nations. Every day they're trained in that. Um, so we send our high school kids down there to start it young. Um, we have Sunday evening prayer meetings every Sunday evening with preaching and prayer. One Sunday a month is focused on missions um, and missionaries. We're just bleeding it all through everything we do. We don't have a missions conference because we don't need one. We don't need one. It's, it's just going through the whole of the ministry of the church. So I think if you create that kind of culture, then what happens is what happened in our church. I wasn't doing care well for the missionaries, but several of the members started going, hey, we need to do this, we need to do this. We and they started a missions team. Missions team's the biggest team in the church. And they're not there just to sit around and talk about policy. There are couples assigned to following up with each missionary. There are people who pray for them. They come into the elder meetings and they report to us about the missionaries. So we have in every elder meeting a time where there's a report on the missionaries um, from the various people. It's they've just taken it on and they've done it really, really well. But that came out of being in a church culture where they realize we all have a part of this. I might not be going, but I'm responsible for every person we send to. And I need to be a part of that. I, I, I saw. I used to have a chance to see a lot of sending ceremonies. I know, Paul, you see a lot of them. And uh, there was a church I saw in Virginia that when they were sending out their, their couples, um, they had said, everyone who's involved in the sending team, come forward. And about 50 people came forward. Well, it'd be hard in a church my size, but um, <laughs> but I would love, but, but the nice thing about, they, they were prepared for them. They, they took care of them. They knew what the needs were on the field when they were coming off the field. They never had to worry about a house to live in or a car to drive or whether, you know, they had to buy groceries the first week they were, it was all taken care of because they had a group of people that were very focused on their care on the field, their care coming off the field, their transitions, they're caring for their kids when they came home for school. And uh, it, it created a culture in that church that just, and, and it, the giving followed that. If you know a missionary, you're going to give sacrificially to them. It's hard to give sacrificially to this ideal, especially this generation. We don't do real well at giving to ideals. But when you know someone and you're thinking about, you're, you're personally invested. And that church was one of the most dynamic mission-sending churches I think I'd ever seen. That's an important point. I, we have gotten reports from our missionaries that the longer they're on the, they're on the field, the more their support goes up. That's unusual. Yeah. And so I've asked them, well, how's that happened? Well, new people come to the church, they hear you praying for us. 
And so then they ask somebody in the church, how do I get a hold of them? And they start supporting them wow. because they just hear us praying for them every week. I should support them. And they just start supporting them. And their support goes up while they're gone, Beautiful, which is incredible. I mean, I didn't do anything. We just prayed. <laughs> Here's a question. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. I, I think there's also, you know, if we expect the congregants of a church, those who stay in place, to be as passionate about that abstract cause as the missionaries themselves who are going to those people groups, that's probably an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. Because if they were as burdened, they would be the goers, right? But I think we can get them to be burdened for those missionaries, to love those individuals, right. to love those families. And you see that in Third John, you're, you're, you become a fellow worker for the truth that's right. by sending them out. That's right. These people, and it talks about their character, right? They accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So by sending them out in a manner worthy of God. So I'd like to ask one more question uh, as we're getting close to wrapping up. And this is, this is a tension that, uh, that I think pastors feel, but also agencies feel. Of like, So what, what, is, what are the best ways for a pastor to engage with an agency? Because on one level, like I explained my, my situation where I felt like the local church didn't want to get involved because the experts are handling it. But the other hand, I've also seen, because I've been in executive leadership on an agency where, where like, you know, a pastor's, you know, you know, wanting to get into the minutiae of every aspect of missionary life. So where is that happy, that happy uh, arrangement where the church and the agency really can work together to help missionaries be effective? As you guys are dealing from the pastoral perspective, Paul, you're kind of looking at it from two angles as a pastor for 30 years and now an agency leader. You know, what, what can we say to those here? What, what should missionaries expect from their churches? And what should we say to pastors like, hey, here's a great way to engage. I'll let you start. Well, thanks for giving you the easy ones. Yeah. I, I think there's a difference between a sending church and a supporting church, mm. right? If, if you're a sending church, that conversation um, is very different than if you're a supporting church. If you're a church that's supporting a missionary for X amount of dollars and you're praying for them and you're supporting them mm -hmm. versus the church that is responsible for them um, and, and I would say this from the get-go. I believe that it's the, on, the onus is on the sending organization to come to the church. And when there are issues and complications that need to... I think it, the, the leadership that's helping ad, address team dynamics and help them on the, on the field should be percolating issues to the local church. And I think the onus is on the organization that's, again, has said to the local church, we're here to support you in this. If an agency doesn't require a sending church, look for a different agency, right? <laughs> yes. I'm going to say it. Yes. <laughs> I will say it. <laughs> I didn't yes. mean to interrupt, but I just no, want that I, out there. That's yes. a red flag. Right. Um, and so I think, so that conversation, at least for ABWE, that conversation is different for a supporting church and a sending church. We will go... We think our biblical authority lies within the sending church and lies within the eldership team, the leadership team of the sending church. Supporting churches may be consulted, and so that may be a different conversation, uh, but that sending church is critical. So how does a, a pastor engage with that? I, I, I think that pastor has to have a working relationship with the leadership, specifically the leadership with their sent missionary. Right. Right? So don't, you can't just leave it up to having a relationship with a missionary. As the sending church, the, the leadership team needs to have a relationship with who, what's, what's the, the upstream? Who are they accountable to? Who are they answering to? Who are they pro providing reports to? And, and who's caring for them? Is there a member care team that's caring for them? A relationship with them? And so, especially the sending team, I think... Uh, a great relationship with the leadership, with the missionary, uh, that's a critical circle of communication that should be ongoing. Good. Good. So I, the way I would look at it is, is twofold. Um, the mission uh, agency that the person goes with, I, I feel like our church is responsible to be involved in that as much as whether the person is capable of going as a missionary and we would send them. And so by selecting a mission agency, and I would say that we have mission agencies that I give most, na most favored nation status to. These are the ones mm -hmm. that are in our selection set. Mm -hmm. And we know that they 
uh, agree on the same things, the, the clarity of the gospel, the importance of knowing the language at an adult fluent level, some of those kind of things. So I'm not as concerned about talking to the agency and saying that they turn in their, their timesheet from the last week. Right. Uh, you know, but I want to know if we're hitting major goals. Um, what we have found helpful is just exactly what you said, is if I can know the, the management of the agency, if I can know the field leaders that manage the teams and have a relationship with them, see them in the field face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. then when there's issues that come up, it's much easier to deal with. Because if we, and we have had people in the field who have had issues, and they've had issues with other teammates, and the field leadership agreed that the other teammates were probably handling it well, and the people that we sent were not handling it well. So I had our field, our missionary saying the agency was wrong, Course. And so if we didn't have a relationship with the agency where we could have an honest discussion and there was enough trust built over time so the trust didn't have to be built in a crisis, mm -hmm. makes all the difference in the world. So good. We, we, we're, we're not a mega church like Barry's church here. So, and I say that in all seriousness, actually. So we are don't have a, a Bay Area mega church? We don't, we don't, yeah. Be Bay, they are Bay Area. We're, 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 in the Bay Area, Bay Area we, would we would be a mega church. But that's... But we are um, a gigachurch. So we have, uh, yeah, maybe a gigachurch. That would, we are in the, so our selection set is actually one organization right now, which is Global Serve International. And the reason for that is both because they do what we, we want as far as their missiology, the direction they're headed. And uh, we can, and one, they've done it well with the missionaries we sent with them. Two, and three, we don't have time to get to know the field leadership and main leadership of every all these of a bunch of other sending organizations at this point. Who knows in the future? But presently, that's where we run. And um, you're trying to point at another one. <laughs> I'm just like, but oh no, there's an that's, opening. That's the, but um, one little caveat to what Barry said, or addition maybe to what Barry said, because I think everything he said is right, and I concur with that. I haven't found, we've worked with a couple other sending organizations, and even though I didn't care for two of the ones we worked with, I won't name them, so we ceased working with them. I, I found all of three of the missions organizations we worked with so far to be incredibly amenable to the notion of pastors coming or elders coming to something like a PFO, you know, the pre-field orientation. Um, yeah, we would, they're, they're actually, every single one of them without exception so far for us has with open arms, yeah, if you want to send an elder or a pastor, we'd love to have you there as part of that. They've all, they're all shocked that a church even wants to be engaged with them. And um, GSI, we have, like, we have a couple going to their pre-field orientation in July. And an elder and his wife who have the pastor, that elder has pastoral responsibility for that couple, they are going with them and as part of the pre-field orientation. And we continue to um, do those kinds of things so that we build relationships with the sending organization so that we are actually able to say, hey, in what areas, these are the areas we're going to take responsibility, like pastoral care and counseling. And in what areas do you want us to be hands off because we don't know what we're talking about? Which So we, we talk those things out. Like, I know nothing about language checking or translation checking or how to set up a, get a visa in a closed country or set up a um, you know, a business in a closed country. I don't know anything about that. So I'm going to rely on their expertise there. But we do know about pastoral ministry, and we do know these people better than they know them. Um, and so we want to be involved in following up there. What, what cannot be delegated? You know, there's an idea of like, well, we're delegating some things to, a, to an agency, like you said, visa. And that. What can't be delegated uh, from a local church? What can't you delegate away? What the doctrine is going to be. <laughs> can't delegate that out. What um, the care of the missionaries yeah. long term? Can't mm -hmm. delegate that out. We, authority. We, we, we yeah. have authority we have a member care team within our organization. Most organizations do, but that's meant for triage. Yeah. That's not for regular pastoral care. Right. That's not for regular shepherding of the heart of an individual. That's for for traumatic experiences. That's for crisis. We, we need to come in and, and maybe medically evacuate or things like sure. that. That's what member cares are for within the organization. The, the pastoral care still needs to come from home. Still needs to come from the home church. Sure. Let me give an example. You know, it's one thing when a member care person that you see once a year maybe gives right. you a call like, how are you doing? Fine. 
you know, okay, let's get this call over with fast. It's another thing when a pastor that knows me goes, how are you loving your wife well? And he can hear in my voice when I go, fine. And he knows that's not fine because he knows me and he knows my struggles. He knows like, hey, when pressure gets on, these two fight or or because he's seen pattern of ministry because he worked with me for years at home. And that kind of a phone call is so much better than an agency's phone call, right? You can't delegate that. Right? And if you're a young person, because we run this into this a lot at Radius, if you're a young person who's going out already and you're, you're in a church where you're not getting that kind of support from your pastor, um, then seek out some godly members in that church mm-hmm. who will help you along. Just ask them. Especially if you're in a large church and you have a hard time getting in contact with your pastor, um, it would be good for you to seek out godly members in the church, maybe an elder, maybe a missions team member, somebody you know who knows you, who will care about you, who will speak into your life in hard ways, who will follow up with you, and ask them to serve in that role. One other thing that I don't think can be delegated is the definition of the nature and scope and sometimes even location of a missionary's ministry. So an agency is going to understand cultures and affinity blocks better than most local churches because they're looking at the globe constantly. But if a person is commissioned from a church to a particular place, an agency can't unilaterally relocate that person without going against the express wishes of that sending Mm. elder board uh, and congregation. Uh, I would also argue the nature of their ministry. So if somebody is really commissioned into more of a service support kind of role, um, rather than a, a lead pastoral type of role, right? Maybe, maybe they're, you know what, this, this person we're sending, they're, they're more of a deacon profile. They're, they're not necessarily an elder profile, right? The missionary doesn't get to say, well, we had a need, so yeah. we, we put them in as the team leader or as the pastor of this church plant. All of those things have to be decided in consultation with the local church. Good. Any final comments real quick as we wrap up with about one minute to go? I don't. Not all at once. We've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. So thanks for asking. Thanks for thanks for listening in. I hope that you have other questions. You can get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. So many of you have walked up to the table and said, "Hey, we listen." Or here's a question I had. We love that kind of thing. It's such an encouragement, and I hope that these kind of practical resources can be helpful to you. Now you have some people you can even tap if you're going through some things. Please thank Um, our expert panel too. Yes. Thank you. Thank you guys. We're grateful to them and for their ministry. If you want more content, you can go to missionspodcast.com. You can also go to our Facebook page and watch as we continue to stream throughout the remainder of the sessions here. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE International. And for more information on that, you can go to abwe.org. And thank you so much for being here, for watching, and for listening.